0: We're not trying to help the poet solve something. We're not trying to answer a question. And it's more about trying to provide them tools that enable them to, to brainstorm and have additional creative thoughts and insights.
1: This episode of Data Stories is sponsored by Quadrigram, a web-based application designed to bring Data Stories to life. With Quadrigram, you can create and share interactive data stories without the need of any coding skills. Check it out at quadrigram.com. That's q u a d r i g r a m.com. Hey everyone, Data Story 68. Hi, Enrico. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Great. And you? Most excellent. Very good. Very good. It's a good, it's been a good day for me, so. Yeah, same today. today. We have another project centric episode, so we dive right in. We want to keep this short as you know. And this one is on a very special poetry visualization project. And um, yeah, for this occasion, we have two very special guests here, uh, Nina McCurdy. Hi Nina. Hi. <laughs> and Mariah Meyer, which you might know because she has been on the show already a while ago. Hi, Mariah. Hey, guys. Great to have you on. Okay, so can you briefly introduce yourself?
0: I'm Mariah Meyer and I'm a professor at the University of Utah in the School of Computing. I'm
2: Nina McCurdy and I'm a third year PhD student working with Mariah.
1: Great. So. The tool we are talking about, or the visualization we are talking about, we actually mentioned it last time we had you on, and we said, "Oh man, we need to bring you back when you know when we can talk about that because it sounded so exciting and now it's out. the paper is to be published soon as well, and the tool is available, and so we can talk about it. that's great and it's called poemage and uh, the first thing of course, uh, what we would like to know from you. What is it, and what is it good for, and how does it look? How can you use it? so can you give us a brief overview of the tool and and how it works?
2: yeah, so um, I guess the place to start we say we call it Pomage, and it's um a tool that allows poets to explore the sonic topology of a poem. Mm-hmm. So what is sonic topology? That's the next um, obvious <laughs> question, yes. <laughs> I'll start with that. Um, it's, it's actually a term that we made up um, in order to describe the way in which um, the various sonic devices within a poem interact mm-hmm. to kind of form this sonic landscape. And that's something that our poets are really interested in exploring in a poem and also not just exploring the sonic landscape of a poem, but how that landscape interacts with maybe the semantics of a poem. Mm -hmm. So we've created a a user interface uh, tool that allows them to explore the sonic topology on a poem of their choosing. And so basically they load up the poem and then they can kind of browse through all the different sonic devices that we are detecting within a poem and start to build their own version of the sonic topology that they can explore. Mm -hmm.
1: That that, that sounds very unusual. Has anybody done anything like that before? Is that like a common thing to do? It doesn't (laughs) sound like that.
2: Um, we actually, no, we haven't really seen anything like it before, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but it does draw on a lot of different, cause actually we, we are drawing from things like Metro line minimization crossing. And so we have drawn tidbits from other kinds of research, but yeah, yeah it's, it's a little bit unique.
1: Wow. That's great. <laughs> and what you visualize are basically sound patterns or like patterns you can, yes. you
2: could,
1: you could hear if somebody was speaking the poem. Right. right. Yeah.
2: So, um, yeah, so, I'll, I'll, let me back up just a little bit. Um, sonic topology is the interaction of these sonic devices across the space of the poem. So we call that poem space. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine, um, a sonic device as a set of words connected through some sonic resemblance. Maybe it's rhyme, maybe it's alliteration, maybe it's a a repeated cluster of characters. And so if you are looking at a poem, you can imagine a path that kind of meanders through the poem linking one word to the next that are connected sonically. Um, so when you're looking at these sonic devices, you're actually looking at paths through poem space. And these different paths can interact in a number of different ways. They can merge into one path. They can diverge. They can kind of bounce around each other. They can, um, not interact, but maybe kind of move in this synchronized way. And all of these things are, are what our poets are interested in
1: exploring. Mm-hmm. And in principle, you can put any text or like any poetic text into the tool and it will automatically draw these these paths, right?
2: Yes. So on the back end, we're, we're extracting all the pronunciations of the words and then we're
0: detecting our patterns based on those pronunciations. Which leads to some really interesting caveats about the poem because of the back end technology that we're using to basically sonify the poem. And um, the, 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 the software we've developed is built on uh, the CMU dictionary, which is a large, manually curated dictionary, of about 160,000 words that someone's gone in and basically said, for this word, here are the phonemes that make it up. Mm-hmm. Um But the interesting thing is that that dictionary is based on a modern day, mid-Atlantic American dialect. And one of the things that our poets are constantly saying is like, oh, turns out that not all poetry was written (laughs) um, for a modern day mid-Atlantic American dialect. Can we do other things? Um, And so that's when that's when things start to get interesting from a natural language processing perspective. And
2: actually that um, that brings up another nice point is that, so we have our words that are in dictionary and for words that aren't in the CMU dictionary, we use automated methods. And um, while we're making a lot of really great process, progress in text to speech, we're still not quite there yet, so so um, these automated methods will sometimes mispronounce a word. Mm-hmm. And we thought initially, Mariah and I thought, oh, we need to figure out how to reduce this and, and make sure we're getting the right pronunciation, but our poets are actually... M- incredibly excited about the idea of a mispronunciation because maybe that will reveal new (laughs) insights about the poem. So
0: that actually gives you a sense of our whole collaboration (laughs) in and of itself. The the things that we're sort of mortified about, they're like, no, that's fantastic.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So can you tell us a little bit about how the project started? I think one interesting feature of this project is that you've been collaborating with with a certain number of poets for, for an extended period of time, which makes the project even more interesting. So how did it start?
0: So I guess that started with me um, before Nina came here to the University of Utah. And I just started talking with a couple of these poets who actually had been working on a project with Min Chen at Oxford. And they were interested in really trying to think about how could visualization affect their experience um, as poetry scholars of how they read poetry. Um, And admittedly, at first, they're pretty skeptical that Viz could do anything. Um, And I think from a Viz perspective, what was really interesting was when we, you know, I think when we go off and work with scientists and other data analysts, we're always trying to help them solve a problem. And these poets were very much like, no, 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 solving the problem is like (laughs) what we do. That's like what we love to do. We really want to understand if technology can somehow enhance that. So, those initial conversations were really around trying to grapple with that, like what is the role of technology? Um, and then we moved into conversations about well, what in a poem can we actually sort of datafy from a computer science perspective? That is also interesting from. Uh, From the poetry perspective and we talked about a lot of things like metaphor and affect and all sorts of things that are really really challenging to do and then at some point we stumbled onto sound and as someone who doesn't know anything about poetry i was really interested to hear how important sound is in the sort of experience of reading a poem and so that's when nina came on board too i don't know if you want to say anything from that point
2: No,
1: I think that's good. One thing I found really interesting in the paper you write that you just knew you wanted to do something in that space. Like you knew it would be interesting to do something in that space, but it wasn't even clear what the problem is right like yeah. and and also if you talk to different poets they might have totally different perspectives but there was no clear functional gap to be filled and no no pain points to be uh scratched <laughs> How do you say exactly. <laughs> and yeah
2: and we found that as as we'd narrow in on some topic that we'd be interested in exploring mm-hmm. all of a sudden we'd find it exploded <laughs> so you, so everything that we looked into was actually this enormous domain space that we could play around with so we had to continue navigating and kind of carve
1: out a chunk that we could work with and and Um. what was your strategy how to do that because it can be very frustrating of course if you just talk and it's very confusing everything's complex how did you how did you break it down to something you could actually tackle computationally
2: Yeah, it happened kind of organically. We, we first, um, when we decided that we wanted to look into sound and this was a really rich domain space, we, um, kind of put together a survey of all the things that we thought we could play around with. And from there, it was pretty clear that our poets were more interested in exploring certain things than others. So that helped us, helped us narrow down on the idea of kind of a broader definition of rhyme rhyme that encompassed traditional rhyme, but also maybe alliteration and some of these phonetic qualities. And from there we started experimenting with, okay, within those different categories, what can we detect? What can we play around with? And actually they helped us kind of narrow in on the, the specific topics within that too, which was, um, essentially traditional concepts of rhyme, including alliteration and looking at character clusters. And kind, yeah, patterns and, and also patterns in, in phonetic. So the way that the, the
0: mouth moves in order to pronounce different, to
2: pronounce different sounds. Yeah, and
0: I think from a, from a more methodology side of things, um, what we also did that worked really well was a lot of what we called playful experimentation. So it was really, really important for us to get as many things in front of these poets as we could because we were talking from such different languages that they didn't really even understand when we were talking about, you know, well, this is easy to to datafy. This is going to mm-hmm. be really, really challenging. Um, we had to just put a lot of stuff in front of them to both validate it, but also to get them thinking such that they could give us useful feedback from the design. And so we created a lot of what what's called technology probes which are just these quick visualization, you know, interactive sketches of ideas, but not meant to test the the visualization design space, more intended to get a conversation going so that we can better understand what they care about, you know, what's gonna work well and what's not. And so we did a lot of these very fast experiments where we would just give it to a variety of our collaborators and, you know, through just a lot of um, interviews and conversations, get feedback on to help lead into the final design of the tool that we created for them.
1: That's a good time to take a little break and talk about our sponsor this week. As you all know, modern life is complex and this creates the need for digital creators to support their arguments with facts and figures. A data-based narrative which intertwines annotations and media elements with data visualizations is the perfect way to communicate complex realities. It's not only important to understand and process lots of information, but we also need to have the tools to communicate findings in a structured and nice way. Now, Quadrigram is a web-based application to create and share these types of data stories on the Internet. Its intuitive interface allows users to design interactive narratives by merging graphic elements such as text, images, videos and data visualization modules into a single data story. And you can then publish your work as a fully functional website or interactive slide presentation without the need of any coding skills. Readers can browse the story and discover their own findings, basically create their own unique synthesis. Quadrigram is a product by Bestiario, a design firm with more than 10 years of experience in the wonderful field of data visualization. Quadrigram is free and you just need a Gmail account to start building and sharing your data stories. So check it out at quadrigram.com. That's q-u-a-d-r-i-g-r-a-m.com. And now, back to the show touched on it briefly before but maybe can you tell us a bit what the functionality is of of the the final design you came up with and then later maybe we can move towards a few of the stories of how the how the poets actually used it Uh, i'm super curious about anecdotes about you know how the tool (laughs) was was used but first maybe describe for our listeners who might not have played with it yet just briefly what what the how, how you can use the tool and what it visualizes exactly
2: Um, Okay. So I'll start with kind of describing what it looks like. The interface has three linked views. Um, So the linked view on the left kind of is this menu where you can browse through different detected rhymes and rhymes we're using broadly. So you can kind of scroll over these little circles and it highlights... In um, a different linked view, it highlights these different paths that I mentioned earlier, meandering through the space of the poem. Mm-hmm. The linked view in the center shows the text of the poem. And this was something that was really important to our collaborators. They really wanted to preserve the text. They wanted to always be able to see the text and the shape of the poem and be able to go back to that mm-hmm. and explore via that That via the text. Um, so the center is the poem view, and there are several different interactions that they can do in there. And then on the right is the path view. And so that kind of presents an abstracted view of the poem where you have nodes that represent the words, and then you have these paths that connect the different sets, the rhyme sets. So that's the interface and typically well I guess one of the one of the things that we were excited about when we gave our tool to different poets is they all kind of used them in different ways. So one of our poets um I mean essentially you upload a poem of your choosing and then you you have you're free to play in whatever way you want. So one of them went directly to the poem view and started exploring the different connections to certain words and used that as a way to explore the topology. Another one started clicking different rhyme sets in the set view and kind of building these visualizations in the, um, path view and then creating new poetry based on those visualizations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so that was something that we are happy with is, is that people could really play in different ways. And, and I think that reflects the close reading process. Every poet kind of does close reading differently.
3: So can you tell us a little bit more about reactions from the poets and what they've been able to do? maybe some anecdote i'm i'm pretty sure you have you have a few <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah um so um one little anecdote that we really like because we think it it's kind of um particularly revealing um happened when one of our poets was looking at the poem this is just to say by william carlos williams and I, I was thinking, it's actually a pretty short poem. I could just read it.
3: Yeah, please. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Please do it. <laughs> okay. That's the first time. I can't
2: do it in the poet speaker or whatever. <laughs> so, um, this is just to say by William Carlos Williams, I have eaten the plums that were in the icebox and which you were probably saving for breakfast. Forgive me. They were delicious. So sweet and so cold. And so she was exploring this poem, and she um, touched on one of the features which we call "beautiful mess," which um, highlights all the the rhyme sets for a given poem. And um, this is something that Mariah and I were really resistant to including in the beginning because it's a, it's a hairball. It's a mess. <laughs> it's a, but they absolutely loved the feature even before it was revealing any insights. They, they felt like it it really reflected what they did in their process, and for other reasons we talked about it a little bit in the paper but anyway so she selected the beautiful mess button <laughs> and what she found was that um the only word that wasn't participating in any of the sonic patterns was the word you huh. and um it, The poem, the poem, as you heard, it's an apology to you, the reader. So the fact that they had this, there's this isolated sound, you, this isolated word, was really, was really pretty significant to them. And it was something that they felt they couldn't have found otherwise. So, um, for us, this was really revealing because there was this feature that we really were resisted, resisted including. And it ended up revealing this insight. So that made us kind of have to think about our (laughs) approaches. (laughs) So that's one example.
0: And one of the things that's been really interesting is how, you know, it kind of feels like no matter what we give them, insights come out, um, which has led Nina and I to have to have a lot of conversations about how do we even go about like evaluating this tool, if everything we do seems to lead to something, <laughs> that's not necessarily a good measure yeah. that this has been successful. Um, and in fact, we had one person we were talking to about this pose the question to us, well, what if you just showed them randomly connected sets of words, things that weren't sonically related, would they still have insight? We asked our poets about this and they are like, oh, maybe. Yeah, that could be cool. <laughs> so, so, so what we're actually doing right now is a follow-up study um, uh, where we're giving poets sets of words, some of uh-huh. which are random yeah. and some of which are sonically connected, to try to get at this, this notion of, well, is it even worth going through all this trouble right, right. to do this? So that's one thing we're working on now, but um, it's also leading us to think, you know, for future for this project is that this is really sort of in the space of creativity support. So we're no longer, you know, we're not trying to help the poet solve something. We're not trying to answer a question. And it's more about trying to provide them tools that enable them to to brainstorm and and to, you know, have additional creative thoughts and insights. Um, and I think from that perspective, you know, it could be that visualization looks very, very different um, if that's really the main mission of what we're trying to do. So that's, yeah. you know, some of the future directions we're going with.
2: This. And just kind of on that same note, um, one of the other things, one of the responses we got a lot with our tool was, oh, it's so beautiful that we want to spend time with it. So, um, the aesthetics were really important. And we did find that that it kind of impacted, it made it more effective in a way. And we were trying to figure out why that was true. And one of our collaborators said, well, it makes me want to spend more time with the poem. And in close reading, that's the main factor. You want to spend as much time with the poem as possible. And so that relates to this idea of creativity support. And actually in the creativity support research, it does talk about creating an environment that that the, your users
1: want to stay in. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm.
2: that was an interesting tie-in,
1: too. Yeah, and that's sort of a key word is creativity support. We're not really used to using data visualization uh, yeah. in this framing, but now that you say it, it seems so obvious, right? It's Absolutely, like, of yeah. course, you give something a new shape, immediately you trigger new ideas. I mean, it, it might even work, as you say, if the shape is fairly random or semi-structured. you know, But still, you can count on some. Serendipity, associations, new views can then yeah affect just your mind in in new ways, right? Uh, I think that's that's very interesting. Yeah, Uh, yeah, you should do the 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 study with the random connection, I give it a fancy name, like so it's like a placebo, you know? It's like they think they see something meaningful. It's like a double-blind uh, placebo uh-huh. study, maybe. Well,
0: the, the, the sort of initial data that we've looked at seems to suggest that the random ones aren't as interesting. Uh-huh. So that's... You but know.
2: maybe not yeah. as uninteresting.
0: <laughs> yeah, as we had hoped.
2: <laughs> but it—it it is looking at some of the responses. It's we should give a placebo mm-hmm. placebo effect because some of the people say, "Oh, is this another one that doesn't make sense or something like that?" So
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's super fascinating. And what I really like about the project is how deep you went because I think you could have stopped at a much earlier point and just saying yeah for poetry it's much different everything's just vaguely associative and we're just doing creativity support right so we can be a bit vague in what we do what when you look at the paper you see you actually went very deep in what you do exactly there how you work with the rhymes which rhymes you choose which types of overlays and so you took that very serious and i think that's that's really great
0: and I, and I think that, you know, some people may think, well, okay, for poetry, well, why would you spend three years on this problem right. for poets to support their creativity? You know, maybe you love poetry, maybe you don't. Um, and, you know, what Nina and I have found is that it's been, this project's been a really beautiful insight into, um, some aspects of the visualization design process itself, um, which is actually, you know, sort of the, paper in progress at the moment, um, but is really using this as well as a number of other projects to think about when you are in this space where everything is messy and you're like, oh, I have this thing or this data, and there's so many directions we could go. How do I pick and choose? And, and how do we work together with collaborators as, as Viz designers that this project is helping us tease apart and to put some structure around? Um, and one of the things we found has been so interesting in this um, is that you know, we impacted the poets not just with the visualization, but just with the whole process and how thinking about their their poems in a different way made them think about poetry in a different way, just as working with them turned out to really impact us a lot. You know, the beautiful mess is just a small example of that. These things that we as Viz designers are like, oh, visual clutter, that's bad. In this case, maybe not. Um but there's been this really symbiotic impact on both of us and you know, thinking about how do we how do we think about that and structuring, you know, the visualization design process is something that this project has been really great for.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's a great, great segue to the, actually the last question I have is what, if you look back now on the project, what, what were your main takeaways? And if you, if, if you were to start fresh, like, would you do the same thing again? Or would you at some point say, ah, like, oh, we should have taken that avenue? Or if you do maybe something new with music or so, you know, which would be the, uh, yeah. How, how has the project changed you?
0: <laughs> That's a really, it's a long, really complex question. It's a really great question, yeah. um, and, and I think for me, at least, um, it it really, I think it, it caused me to be more open to things that the collaborators say that they want or want to suggest, you know, I feel like a lot of times I've been in situations where people are like, oh, but I love the red to green color map. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 not good. <laughs> and in this poetry project, though, there was a lot of things around visual clutter, around ambiguity, um, that kind of turned a lot of the visual conventions that we use on its head. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like I'm I'm hoping I'll be more receptive to those sorts of things going forward. Um And I don't know. Nina, there's other things that you want to say. Well, I
2: think, um, in terms of. Uh, starting a new project like this I think some, some things that were really valuable in the beginning was um, getting to know kind of the dialogue going in in the digital humanities and this, this notion of what is the role of technology in the digital humanities in our community um, and being really sensitive to that. That led us away from solving the poem to much more radical things <laughs> that we had a lot of fun with. Um, and then also this idea of creating a research environment that reflected our collaborators research environment so they're very playful and exploratory and mm-hmm. experimental in their research. And I think kind of mimicking that and and exploring the visualization in that way was also really helpful in getting started. So,
0: And I think even just from um, even like, you know, beyond visualization, just think about computer science. I think um, a lot of people in the field are th- are trying to think about well, what does computing mean as we go forward when computers are you know they're impacting everything about our lives. It's not just about data analysis, and trying to really get a, a grasp you know a handle on well, what does this mean for the future of computer science? And for me, this project was a, a really great sort of peek into well, there's all these people in fields very far away from us that are interested or are using technology and how do we start to think about working with them? How do we start thinking about the value of computation in that space? Um, and, you know, it's still something I struggle with because I'm an engineer and I like to solve things. Um, and so, you know, it takes me out of my comfort zone, but I do think that th- this kind of thing is something that's going to be coming up more and more.
3: Yeah, I think that that's that's a really really great point. So it's time for to wrap up for us. But I I really want to thank you for for this amazing project. I I find it highly highly inspiring. So thank you, thanks thanks a lot thank for you. for the project and for coming on the show.
0: Oh, thank you guys. It's always great to to get to talk about this work with you. Thanks so much for having us.
1: Yeah.
3: Thanks so much. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye
2: Bye-bye. bye. Bye. Bye.
3: Hey guys, thanks for listening to Data Stories again. Before you leave, we have a request. If you can spend a couple of minutes rating us on iTunes, that would be extremely helpful for the show. I also want to give you some information on the many ways you can get news directly from us. We are, of course, on Twitter at twitter.com slash datastories. We have a Facebook page at facebook.com slash podcast. And we now also have a newsletter. So if you want to get news directly into your inbox, go to our own page datastory.es and look for the link that you find on the right. One last thing I want to tell you is that we love to get in touch with our listeners, especially if you want to suggest way to improve the show, amazing people you want us to invite, or projects you want us to talk about. So do get in touch with us. That's all for now. See you next time. Thanks for listening to Data Stories.
1: This episode of Data Stories is sponsored by Quadrogram, a web-based application designed to bring Data Stories to life. With Quadrigram, you can create and share interactive data stories without the need of any coding skills. Check it out at quadrigram.com. That's Q-U-A-D-R-I-G-R-A-M dot